Hey guys, it's Skalk here, founder of PetHaven.co.za, and you're listening to the Startup Circle with Steve Fortane, the podcast that gives you insight into the minds of South Africa's most innovative entrepreneurs and businesses in the South African tech sector. It's not often that we can have a business on the show where I can guarantee that each of my listeners have come across this service offering in one way or another, but today I can. If you've ever gone into a mug and bean or wimpy with your laptop or your internet-enabled device, or or you've been at an airport trying to connect to Wi-Fi, you'd most definitely have come across the Wi-Fi name Always On. Always On, an ISP, has been around since 2003. Let that sink in for a moment. How many of you guys have been using Wi-Fi since 2003? How many of you even had a Wi-Fi-enabled device in 2003? Back then, everybody was connecting to the internet via an Ethernet cable. But if you were one of the lucky ones and you hit the ground running with a a, a Wi-Fi connection, undoubtedly you'd know the name Always On. So today we're speaking to a man who I'm dubbing the father of the Wi-Fi hotspot, Nico Pretorius. A big thank you to Tiernas at Bridget for the referral. In today's terms, a Wi-Fi hotspot business might not seem like too tech of a business. But back then, you were creating technology to address a need and launching in a rapidly growing market that was becoming more technologically astute as every day passes. Sounds very much like the landscape and business environment that our tech businesses are operating in today. So without further ado, let's hear from a man that launched one of the earliest tech businesses in SA with a solution so fitting that it's still been used by many today. Nico, welcome to the show. The idea of a Wi-Fi solution in 2003 must have been as uncommon of an idea as ordering a taxi on your smartphone in 2009 or, or an online dating app while we're still using Nokias. So, so to some extent, when starting Always On, you weren't selling the future, you, you were creating it. How did you know people were ready for all of this? Morning, Steve, and thank you for, for the talk. To a large extent, uh, I've had good experience in terms of seeing the opportunity in the sense that uh, before I started always on as early as 1996, uh, I worked with wireless networks. So it was basically the precursor to Wi-Fi where I had some exposure to that. And then for a couple of years before I started always on, I traveled quite a bit internationally and I saw the opportunity when I'm away from home, you need to communicate with your colleagues and you want to communicate with family. And if you're in a foreign country, it's very difficult to communicate. So mm. even if it's just basic email. So that was the one. And the other one, so today it might sound almost stupid, but remember back then there were no such thing as a smartphone or tablets. So you were lucky back then if you had a laptop that had built-in Wi-Fi. So typically most of the laptops back then you had to purchase a Wi-Fi adapter. So it was very early, but the exposure and the personal experience I had to a large extent gave me a good view in terms of the need. So, so wireless networks in 1996, what did wireless networks look like then? It was, again, just uh, if, if we talk in terms of Wi-Fi terms, it was just a Wi-Fi access point and then the wireless adapter, also PCMCIA adapter that plugged into the laptop. 
But in terms of speed, the maximum speed that you could get back then was 2.4 megabits per second. So, so at, at 2.4 megabits per second in, in 1996, I'm sure it was technology that was great for 1996. But uh, yes. as, as you, you rightfully said in today's times, uh, 2.4 megabits per second is the connection all of us would hate to have. <laughs> but, but in 1996, with a 2.4 meg line, did the industry and, and, and did you know then that this technology would explode to what it was or what it is today? It was definitely a revolutionary back then because uh, even though it was 2.4 megabits back then, the fixed connections were typically 10 megabits per second. So the fact that you could move around and, and not be limited with a physical cable was definitely a revolutionary back mm. then. And that portion of it, one could definitely see that there's major opportunity in terms of that going forward. But we had no idea that it would explode to what it is today. And if I'm listening to you correctly, you're saying, w without this view of where it would go to, you saw the opportunity which, which came from um, the fact that you, you were traveling, you were out of town, and you realized, actually, there's no real cost-effective and easy way to connect to people back home. Correct, correct. So one of the things that I did, I was actually in Mexico at the time working on a project in Mexico for an airport. And well, you sit at the hotel and you need to communicate. And what I eventually did is I used the company Amex card and signed up for a dial-up uh, connection. And very soon, everybody within the company wanted to know the credentials for this dial-up connection and use this dial-up account that I used back then. I'm, I'm sure that there are people listening to the show who won't know what a dial-up connection is. <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll link to the explanation of a dial-up connection in the show notes for you guys without having to, to ask you to explain it, Nico. But, but always on today is an ISP, an internet service provider. The, the business has retained the, the hotspot infrastructure. And, and I think you're, you're still pretty well known by your hotspot name. But, but in the beginning, how did business look when it started? Like, what was your initial goal when starting off? When we started, the first one was to, to try and establish the business case and to get a sense of uh, what the uptake would be. And one of the first things we needed to do was to, to, to try and understand to what extent one could make a business of it if you like but it was also really just to establish that basic need to say that you want to have an easy and cost effective way to connect people to the internet when they away from home or away from the office so that was really the initial goal was just to establish that basic connectivity so so, so to walk me through this so so you've got this this desire to, to establish a more cost-effective way for people to connect you, you've kind of figured out to what extent you can make a business of it. Um, how, how do you achieve it? What does what the first few months of, of business look like? So for us, the most important one was to really get an understanding in terms of what the uptake would be. And what we did was to uh, work quite a bit in terms of the business model. And I think what was very important for for us was that we needed to establish a business model that would work in South Africa. So we had a bit of a view in terms of what was happening internationally. So certainly there were Wi-Fi hotspots going up internationally, and that gave us uh, a good sense in terms of 
what's happening internationally and that there's a need. But the challenge for us was to understand the local economics and, 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 and how we could develop a viable and sustainable Wi-Fi business model for South Africa specifically. Mm. And all the challenges that we had that were very different was, first of all, cost-effective broadband, well, let alone broadband, just cost-effective connectivity was very limited when we started. You were typically dependent on leased lines that was very expensive. So if you go to big venues, such as an airport or hotels where you've got a critical mass, there you were able to afford expensive infrastructure. But the moment you went to a place such as a coffee shop, it was very difficult to try and make that that same model work in in, in that scenario. Mm. So that was the the first challenge was to understand the business model and to see how we could could make it work. Mm. And part of that was really in terms of figuring that out was to 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 say to ourselves, well, who do we need as partners to make this work? Because it was Early on, it was very clear that we were not going to make this work by ourselves. We mm. needed major partners, and especially in terms of the business model, because connectivity was a problem in terms of cost and availability. So we knew we had to get good relationships or establish good partners with, uh, with big internet service providers. And back then, we looked at two major internet service providers, which were internet solutions on more the corporate side, and then more towards the consumer side was uh, was MWeb. Mm. And the other one that was very important was obviously, if you look at Wi-Fi hotspots, is your venues. Without venues, you've got nothing. Mm. So we knew that we had to establish establish partnerships with critical venue partners so obviously the airports hotels and the odd one out of that so, so my next question is is about your early customers and, and i guess the question can be applied both to your customers as well as the the early partners that you brought on to, to some extent i think you were selling the dream you're selling a future to these guys who who perhaps weren't very familiar with 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 the model the technology you were selling mm. how was it selling to your first mug and bean or wimpy or, or how what, what did the pitch look like uh, when you were pitching to the first partner? What was important back then was that we realized and we understood the need. Because one of the things that we did is in 2003, we did a pilot at Awatambo International Airport. And the uptake in terms of Wi-Fi even though it was very limited and it was limited to a specific area of the International Departures Lounge, the uptake immediately showed us that there's a major need for that. So it was easy to see in terms of the need and and, and simply the number of people using it in the airport that there was a good business case in airports. Uh, Quickly expanded that to one of the hotels at the airport and saw the same trend. The more difficult one was in terms of restaurants. Mm. And fortunately back then, we made contact with Mug and Bean and 
MWeb also had a pilot that they ran for a period of time with Mug and Bean, but it was not on a commercial basis at that stage. And what we did is MWeb decided that they don't want to focus in terms of infrastructure, that they want to focus more on a consumer level. And that basically opened the opportunity for us to approach Mug and Bean with MWeb support to have a look and see if we can expand the model into more Mug and Beans. Mm. And the big advantage back then was that in terms of the Mug and Beans, they needed internet connectivity for themselves just in terms of basic communication, so paying their customers with internet banking. So they had the need for an internet connection and it was costing them money. and many of them were still using dial-up back then. So it was only the start of, 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 of ADSL, and it was relatively expensive for them. So what we did is we approached the Mug and Beans, and we said, the opportunity is that we can provide Wi-Fi to your customers, but what we can do is we can also sponsor their internet connectivity. So it was twofold. So in the one sense, for the Mug and Bean, they would get sponsored internet access and there was the value add to their customers where the customers would be able to get internet connectivity at the coffee shops. And that was really the sales pitch and we never looked back from there. Listening to what you say, it seems like you guys put together a brilliant business model in order to get this working. But but not only was the model good, the tracking and and making sure that the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted of the model was, was done to perfection as well. And, and that's where I want to go into next. I want to speak about this business model because as I, as I understand, you guys self-funded the business. You, you, you never took on angel or, or, or VC investment. I mean, I think the bulk of the tech community, they go the route of building an MVP or a small-scale solution to get some early traction and then seeking investment in order to formalize their business. And, and this is the way that the tech industry operates today. Mm. I think we, we learn from our, our overseas counterparts and some of the biggest tech businesses in the world are still burning down on investor funds in late stage series rounds. Um, they, they haven't yet turned a profit, but at some point their, their model shows that they're going to and it's going to be really lucrative for, for investors. At always on, you guys had a different business model. As I said, you were self-funded. Was there ever an investment consideration? No, there wasn't. And and maybe it was more the need that forced it back then. And I think where it was critical, again, was in terms of our business partners. So if we looked at airports, uh, airports company as a venue partner, they invested significant capital in their own infrastructure that they could utilize. The service providers, internet solutions back then were prepared to invest in hotels. So we started off with uh, City Lodge and some of uh, the Southern Sun hotels back then. And internet solutions were prepared to invest in in the hotel infrastructure because they believed there's enough of a business model for that. But nobody believed in the coffee mm. shops. So myself and my business partner, Jakub van Tonda, decided we're happy to take a chance on the coffee shops, but we knew that in order for us to make it work, we couldn't spend more than 5,000 Rand on a coffee shop. And in terms of operational cost, we knew that if we needed to pay for internet connectivity, we were Mm. dead. So 
what we did is both capital and operational costs, we minimized that. So in terms of our help desk, we started out, the help desk was my personal cell phone and, 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 and Yaku's personal cell phone. We, we worked from home, so didn't have overheads in terms of offices or, or any of that. Basically needed an internet connection, a telephone and a toolbox. And that's really where we started. And the revenue in terms of, well, us doing work for the bigger venues, so the hotels and then the airports generated cash flow. And then the revenues that we generated in terms of uh, the actual coffee shops where the demand in the coffee shops far exceeded any of the expectations. So nobody believed us when we showed them the initial numbers in terms of the coffee shops, in terms of the actual usage we were getting. Mm. And, 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 and that generated cash flow for us. So key, as far as I'm concerned, is cash flow. If you've got cash flow, then you can get going. If you don't have that cash flow, then it makes it very difficult and you're dependent on external funding. But it also then, the moment you go to external funding, it's easy to take away that focus from the operational efficiency and driving and using the driver as a cash flow because it's very easy to burn somebody else's mm. money. But if it's your own money and you don't have that cash flow, you need to pay the bills, that makes it difficult. So. It was to a large extent, it was forced in terms of that we didn't have access to major capital. We had the right partners. And I guess it was also a case of being at the right place at the right time. So there was certainly an element uh, of luck uh, involved. But it's also one of those things that Gary Players are saying, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, what we like to end off with is is what I call a speed in, a speed dating round. Uh, a few short and sharp questions to understand more about the entrepreneur behind the business. Uh, are you ready? Yes, sure. Inspiration. Uh, tell me, what gives you the legs to get out of bed in the morning? Opportunities. Night owl or early riser? Night owl. What What frustrates you? People having a problem for every solution. <laughs> Globally and locally, give me one person that you um, admire in, in, in each. Globally, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Uh, locally, Jan Marais. So very few people know about him, but he started uh, in the early 1900s. He started with the diamond industry. On the startup circle, we believe that leaders are readers and, leader, and readers are leaders. Last book you read? Uh, Jeff Bezos and the age of Amazon. Ah, interesting. And um, final question, any any blogs or podcasts that you religiously follow? Not really blogs or podcasts, but I quite enjoy the Harvard Business Review. Well, Nico, I hope that the Startup uh, Circle series now now makes your list of, of pod- podcasts to religiously look at or to, re- to religiously listen to. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for all the insights and looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you, Steve. Much appreciated. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Creating a business model that works, knowing your costs, and being committed to keeping them as low as possible. In the words of Nico, 
You spend money differently when you know what you own. And starting off with solving a need first and then building a sustainable business model around that. I know that there are startups out there in our economy working on amazing solutions. And often, as we come from very technical backgrounds, we focus on building a very technical solution before simply understanding what's at the heart of our customers. You heard from Nico firsthand on the drive behind his founding of Always On, simply looking for a cheap and easy way to connect with loved ones when traveling. And then that simple need coupled with technology. Technology that we today might not think of as cutting edge, but back then it was as vibrant as what blockchain is today. All of those things coupled together to bring you a solution that is still used in the hands of South Africans today. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to all our listeners once again. Our daily lessons continue to grow. So be sure to follow and subscribe to our SoundCloud channel. And in upcoming weeks, we're going to launch on all sorts of other platforms. So you don't have to be on SoundCloud to listen to us. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at isteveza or check out the website at www.rencroft.io backslash podcast. We've also launched our Startup Circles Discoveries page, which allows smaller startups or whatever shape and size you're into to log on and tell us about you and your business. So check that out as well. Until then, I'll speak to you soon.